HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following program has been brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery. Kane Vineyard and Winery supports Heritage Radio and the growing movement to change how Americans eat and how we think about our planet. For more information, visit www.kane5.com. Happy Monday, everyone. This is Let's Eat In. I'm your host, Kathy Irway, and we're on a Heritage Radio Network here at Roberta's Pizza. Um, happy March to all. Um, I have here today one of the original founding members of the somewhat elusive group known as, yeah, I think so, known as the Whisk and Ladle Supper Club. And if you've been following a few, I don't know, press here and there throughout the years about this phenomenon called supper clubs, or if you read my book, which had a lot about it, (laughs) um, there seems to be a growing, it seems to be a growing trend or phenomenon or whatever you want to call it, a a thing. Um, But Whisk and Ladle has actually been around for 10, what, 10 years? No. Uh, About seven. Seven. Something really long. In the in the span of uh, of this trend, um, how do you maintain? But you know, when you go to Whisk and Ladle site, it's not like, "Hi, where are the Whisk and sign up here." Blah, blah, blah. It's kind of a, a lot more. Um, I, I don't know, exclusive. Well, I, I don't think it. Ha- Kathy, you you've worked with us so many times, so if for for you to describe it as elusive is, is almost to think that like we we never actually met in person. This is the first time we've ever hung out before but i yeah. feel like we've we've run into each other so many times this is um, mark Lowe, by the way I forgot hey. to introduce. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right that's all right we're um uh yeah i don't I, you know the website we we set it up so long ago we weren't really looking at other um supper clubs to set up a website like what, what there are there weren't clubs any do? were there i didn't know of any i didn't any, even know that none. such a thing people did that i lived in an apartment you, that, you invented it yeah. no no <laughs> no people have been going to other people's houses for dinner for decades okay um but we we were always we were looking to set up a website and we didn't really know what to do. So we copied essentially the restaurants that we liked, mm. like Freeman's mm-hmm. or any of the websites that weren't or diner who had just like a page that said oh, this is our address. So we really were just like let's just do a single uh. page, black, simple, and if people have heard about it through their friends, then they will know to click here to send an email. Mm-hmm. That was it. It wasn't for like, let's provide a lot of information about our lives uh-huh. and provide some recipes for people and the way to interact online so that when they come to our house, they already have it. It didn't even occur to us to do well, anything like that. That's 
I get that's fair enough. Um, but when you arrive at this, it's like you you have no idea what to expect, and uh, chances are you will be blown away because it's quite an experience. Well, I, I <laughs> you know what? It's fun to it's fun to set up uh, people's expectations because New Yorkers love to consume things, especially new things they've never done before. Mm-hmm. And so we get a lot of people who send emails to us that are way beyond excitement. They they border <laughs> on like. <laughs> pathology so we wonder what are these people going to be like ourselves when they come in the door but you can always see what the difference between i think a restaurant i walk into a restaurant i'm always like in awe of the productions going on around me like the opera mm-hmm. of it all but for me to see people who go into our place you can tell their expectations shift immediately because they walk they're thinking they're walking into something like a restaurant and then mm-hmm. they walk into somebody's house that's like visibly where we live and they all of a sudden start behaving way better than they otherwise would yeah, like even great. the people who, who i think would be like bossing me around uh-huh. if i were the wait staff are like whoa i'm in your house whoa, whoa. <laughs> i gotta behave so i think that's something that you can't you can't get but um i don't know I, i've been th- i've been thinking a lot about restaurants in general and why um we we like hosting like almost almost a restaurant in our house um but was you, that the you, idea at first? You're like, I just love to cook and I want to have this cool experience with guests and make a sort of restaurant, but at home. Was that the idea? It was, you know, I think it's hard to say. Nora started it three years before I got involved. Mm-hmm. She ran it all by herself. And to her, it was it was about cooking in her apartment because she didn't have the opportunity to cook at any time. She was in law school. There was no way that she had, an, I guess, like an, a way to invite her friends over for dinner. Huh. Uh, when, when Nora and... And I teamed up with Danielle and Nick. All the four of us were like, we have all these friends and we can invite them over to our house for dinner. But if our friends have something legitimate to point to, like, oh, this is a, it's a website with a name. It's not yeah. just your friend's house. Because I, everybody gets invited to their friend's house for something. Yeah. Come to my friend Steve's. He's got a really cool foosball table. We didn't want to be like that. We didn't want to <laughs> oh, they have a bar with lots of booze in it. So we were like, you can point to your friends to this place that's somewhat legitimate. I don't think you would have come over if it was just... Your friend Amelia's house. Yeah. You know, or your Amelia, Amelia's friend's house. So it's kind of like house. one step further than like a home dinner party where you just get an email sent to 20 people. Hey, come over for dinner. It's like, this is more of a, I guess more of a public thing now, but it's word just, of mouth, really. That's that's the best way to keep, I think that's the best way to keep it. The, the I know that when I meet somebody out and they say, oh, I've always wanted to come. I know that that's something that means more to me than yeah. I think like an article I read online about it. Right. You know, like the, a human connection is like, oh, yes, let's meet over dinner uh-huh. in my house. <laughs> and, <laughs> I don't know what that means. And, and the people that come now, they're for the most part um, new people, right? Or a lot of friends, too. But it's, it's most it's I would say, you know, we can serve about 25 people. So I would say it's mostly it's split 25 people into maybe two groups of maybe 20 new, five old. It's nice and, to have old people there who get it, who and, are like very comfortable in our space. Right. right and then 20 people true. who are like deer in headlights. They're like, what? And just so you guys know, this this supper club has a mailing list of I don't know thousands and the like nine nine. Or so I mean, really, we get emails like every day, every so. day. So seats sell out and huge waiting lists by and and you don't even invite the whole list, right? There's no way to do that. I, it's <laughs> very insulting to send somebody an email and then be like, "Thank you for sending one back." I can't serve like it's, yeah. There's like seventy people signed up for the dinner, it's eight, but it's like, it's not about the. I don't think I, I like. I, I think it's more about we just try to make sure that we reach out to people who I think our friends are would be have fun meeting and people who would like to really tell us their story as well. 
Hmm. So it's we meet a lot of people from other supper clubs, a lot of people who are running to cocktail collectives, who have amazing restaurants and who are that's interested another in, one cocktail collectives. We see those pop up now too. That's uh, yeah, and that's I think really fascinating stuff. Is and I'm I'm sorry that my roommate's uh, car broke down because he was going to come and talk about. I guess like the world His cocktail, of yeah. Nick Nick um, runs the cocktail or the bar at Whisk and Lindell Supper Clubs, and he's a real great mixologist. It's a definitely an integral part of the experience is trying these three or so custom cocktails made just for that night's meal. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think a bar is extremely I feel like I'm important. Advertising. For I know. <laughs> I'm actually about, about to <laughs> about to grill you, and I know it's your show. But okay. why on earth did you come to our house? Um, because I met you almost four years ago. Yes. And you were a guest of a friend of ours who um, I brought you along. The party at the end of the dinner. At the end of the dinner, I crashed, and, so, and I was like a deer in headlights. I okay, so I, I knew Amelia, this mutual friend from food blogging, and uh, she makes cookies, sugar built, and uh, she mentioned this thing she does called this Whisk and Little Supper Club. I was like, what the hell is that? And <laughs> at that time, I was uh, you know I was doing not eating out in New York, and I was. I think I met her first at a picnic or like a food cooking class, something like that. So basically, I was trying to get out there and try to see and discover all these cool communal ways of cooking with people on a non-professional scale and a non-business-oriented you know business oriented way, but just doing it um, and making it fun. And when I heard about this thing, I, I, thought I was like, that's perfect. I need to learn more about it. So after I went to that night, uh, I, I think I went to a real dinner. And I went on like a spree of going to all these different supper clubs. That's right. That's right. Um, and I remember meeting you, and I and I remember, um, I think you came back for dinner, and then you hung out afterwards. And then I think four or five of my friends asked me if I knew you. <laughs> like, do you know Kathy? Oh, really? Do you know her? And I'm like, uh, yeah, she comes over sometimes. I don't really know her. She's just <laughs> been here like twice. Oh, cool. Oh, all right. I just was wondering. And I was like, what? this guy is totally asking me to give Kathy's number <laughs> to this. Uh, it was amazing. It happened like four or five times in a row. What? Yeah, I Whatever. was like, I'm your pimp. I could be doing a much better job of this. Well, like, shoot. I better um, start another supper club. <laughs> no, seriously, though. I, and then I you mean, started a supper club. And that's extremely important to know. And that you, you also um, participated in this. So you know more about you know as much about this as I do, really. So, since we're so knowledgeable, what is going to happen with supper clubs? What, what do you see is happening or changing gradually? Because okay. I have some thoughts. Okay, okay. Um, in, in the fall, we went to San Francisco, and I got to meet people who run seven different supper clubs in San Francisco. I got to meet the guys at Spice, um, at uh, Stag, uh, what do I remember, the Forage SF, who they host dinners as well as underground food markets of, mm-hmm. of enormous scale. I think the largest underground food net food market is it foraged food it, oh well their food is all foraged so their entire supper club so is based cool. on it's incredible only so, in san fran right <laughs> uh, exactly i think i think that's what i'm getting at. is it that i met seven supper clubs suck. in san francisco i actually all... remember that whisk and ladle supper where i brought dandelion weeds yeah you picked you picked dandelion <laughs> D- kathy essentially picked dandelion weeds that'd be the worst the... supper club ever for new york city it was just terrifying anyway. for people from new york <clears throat> i think we needed to like ship in a bunch of people from portland to yeah, enjoy yeah. that kind of experience but Anyway, um, sorry to... No, no. Uh, so I'm, anyway, we met a bunch of supper clubs who were way better than us. Way better than everybody in New York. I mean, they were... They had... Each one was ex- distinct from the other. And each was... Each had something to offer that I think was... They'd hosted dinners on rooftops, in garages, and <laughs> out on farms. And, and we also got to meet the people from... Uh, 
what, outstanding in the field. Oh yeah. I mean, they host they host two hundred undergrounders a year. But is this a business? Are like are these forge? You know, all these groups. Is this their occupation or is this a side hobby like you guys? No, these are these are like legitimate. These are like legitimate businesses in a very San Francisco sense. In that you don't feel like you're talking to a salesman. Interesting. And here, yeah, yeah. There's nobody who's pitching something to you. Mm-hmm. In fact, one of the guys that I met, Blair from uh, from Graph Eats. It's like G R A F F E A T S. An awesome guy. And okay. and yeah, and they, they basically do like art dinners. Oh, cool. Um, I, that's a really shitty way. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> that's a terrible heritage. way to describe it. So, but uh, an, an amazing guy and charismatic and told me flat out, he said, you know, I wanted to be a Michelin star chef. Then I opened a restaurant and I was like hunting for a Michelin star. Oh. And uh, now I, I just realized that this is probably actually a better way of going about Whoa, it. Whoa, okay. not doing it that way and doing it in a very like natural way where I actually enjoy what I'm doing. And I enjoy the people I work with and I enjoy the projects I take on and the menus I make. And mm. I was just like, where am I? I'm in some city that I, because I don't spend a lot of time in San Francisco, but everybody was really open to, they didn't even realize they were doing new things, I think. Interesting. There's no articles about them right. working on these great projects. and. Um, but herein is the difference. The, they're doing it as a means of, uh, you know, supporting their life, their income. That's true. And the Whiskey Ladle has never been about that. In fact, I think that's, uh, that, I think maybe the ma- major problem with it yeah. is that I don't depend on it for a living. Right. So it, it is. And neither it, do you for throwing a dinner party, right? So why, this is like, this is another you, yeah. step. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, that's a very good point. I think that, I think that we would be a lot more cautious about getting back people on their emails and, and making sure that we opened up our doors to everybody who emailed. Bec- but it's like, uh, it's not my job. I don't want it to become my job. Mm-hmm. So, so do you think that these guys are basically, running restaurant type businesses or yes yeah and and not but they're doing something so remember wait a second you you've been to you grew up in new jersey yeah i think that's something we should talk about okay is that you've been to a lot of restaurants in new jersey probably as a kid growing up i was i'm from upstate new york so the restaurants were like they were huge and they were like these they were it was like dining at walmart (laughs) i don't think that i've ever had i didn't have intimate dining experiences until i was in college so for it's me, a different world so, up there. Yeah, so for me, uh, for me, restaurants really, that's what I remember growing up mm-hmm. is going to like these gigantic and only when we were in Europe did I think as a kid, did I think this is so different from yeah, what I'm you used could, to like stand at a stool and eat and whatever <laughs> or, say, or, or be there for six hours and not be thrown out. Yeah. Huh? Well, oh. let's, let's have a quick break. Um, we are going to throw on a little music. And we'll be right back with Mark Lowe from Whisk and Ladle. Yes, the land's a burn for a bad easy And for 
following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Every Monday at 2 p.m., Snacky Tunes hosts some of today's most cutting-edge musicians and DJs. And while the requisite live radio fair is usually presented as a song here, a DJ set there, hosts Finger on the Pulse also talk food, sustainability, and green issues with their esteemed food guests. Snacky Tunes is routinely radio perfection for the music or food enthusiast. Again, that's every Monday at 2 p.m. on the Heritage Radio Network. All right, we're back on Let's Eat In. I'm Kathy Arway, Mark Lowe from Whisk and Ladle Supper Club. We're just talking about some new trends in supper clubs as as you want to define them. I don't know how you would define them, actually. How would you define them? That's, I'm not answering that question. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I know, because um, it's now it's not always in a house, you know? Okay, yeah. You were just saying these people travel, and they've they've hosted, the like, say, Forage, or one of them, they've held things in barns, and out staying in the field is all about holding them outside in farms. Yes. Um, and so forth. In galleries and on rooftops. In galleries and, and rooftops. Yeah, so... Um, I guess the I, I guess uh, the the future of a supper club is is going to I think it's going to mirror what restaurants do too. I think there's a lot of interest in how restaurants sort of yeah. take their restaurants are amazing at taking ideas from all sorts of places and sharing ideas with each other. And um, I, I think that when the people who run supper clubs will start their own businesses, I think they start to not only do they start to reflect what restaurants are already doing. Yeah, I, I, we were just talking off air about this, but um, I feel like in a lot of tr- trends with restaurants right now, they're, <laughs> it's funny enough, sounds a lot like supper clubs to me and to you. And, and you know, like from, from Co, where the waiters are, are the chefs, which is the case at Whisk and Lionel right. and most of these places, and you get that intimate um, experience to having a set pre-fee menu where you might not even know what, the uh, dinner is and people just go sign up um, and also to these places that are changing their menus rapidly like what happens next and Lower East Side I was reading about that um, and Grant Ackett's new restaurant next which is going to turn over drastically the whole menu uh, several times or maybe four times a year or something like that yeah and also create these really um, well orchestrated themes because um, you do theme dinners all the time. Um, when I started the Hoppa Kitchen Supper Club, our themes would be like one night was was Paris of the East. And it was like Shanghai and French food fused together with like gongs and <laughs> girls wearing Mandarin dresses and ducks everywhere. Yeah, and actually, yeah, and then uh, Jason Nello runs a supper club uh, called Real Tasty, where they design the entire menu based around the movie they're showing uh, on a projector across the street. Mm-hmm. So you you get yeah, people very much are interested in that theme. The theme really holds strong uh, to the both to the menu and also to the con- right. the conversation at the tables. Yeah, so just having fun with it, and uh, and also if, when you have a restaurant where you fill the seats with people who are. Um, like you know RSVP in advance usually online mm-hmm. and they're they're definitely there it's not like you're going to get drop-ins and I'll, yeah it just creates more of a communal like kind of party like feel yeah you do end up you have a shared destiny which is so rare i mean not that's not rare in new york at all we have shared destinies <laughs> we're standing on the subway but we never actually talk about these shit yeah. no one's like we're all on the 6 train together what's this <laughs> like um, <laughs> that guy smells bad <laughs> yeah are we all we're looking at this? each other grimacing yeah, yeah. So having that and, and just bursting because people tend to burst when they sit down at the table. They're like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm somewhere with you. I've never met you before. 
somebody once told me that was the main difference between restaurants and supper clubs is that you're sitting at a communal table and you're talking to people, which you, you would never do that if you went to a restaurant. Yes, exactly. And and you can never predict how those things go. I, I think that's something that restaurants would have a tough time keeping, yeah. keeping a, a lid on or keeping... Some because, people just want to stay solitary too. Yeah, of course, and and there's something you, that's actually sometimes is that's really like grained into the experience. Yeah. You were like, I'm going with this person, yeah. and I'm separate from the whole. And world. I'm eating at this time. I'm not eating all together at the same time. The same dishes as everybody else. Yeah. So I, it actually shocks me a little bit. The people who like to go to supper clubs because I sometimes think to myself, I don't know if I could sit through this whole meal. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I could be here for like two and a half hours in the same table with these same people. <laughs> And I, I just yes. think, like, I have to host this, otherwise I, I couldn't <laughs> possibly go out there and eat. Um, but but uh, we, had a, we had a dinner t- a couple weeks ago where um, this woman sat next to a group of four. It was like a woman and her date. And she sat next to a table, or four other people at a six-person table. So I was really terrified for her and her date, because I thought to myself, she doesn't even know these people, and they can be awful, mm-hmm. you know. And and I kept going over there, and the four of them were just laughing so hard, and the other two were like very reserved, mm. and were just sort of like chuckling. And I, I was like, courtesy laughs. They're having a terrible night. Oh, I feel so bad. And then she came back a couple weeks later, and was just like, oh my god, no, they were the best. It was like we sat next to Jack Lalanne's son. And what are you feeding these people? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they come in with. They come in with no, ex- they, there were like a delusional expectation, <laughs> so you don't really have to feed them anything. No, really, what is the weirdest no. thing you've fed people? Do you oh. ever like poison things with like hallucinogenic? No, I'm just kidding. I don't think we're doing anything that I haven't seen in, in some mean, of the more exceptional restaurants. Okay. You could totally poison people <laughs> and bury them out in Brooklyn somewhere and nobody would know. There'd be a condo, <laughs> there'd be a condo built above them the next week. Uh, Th- we Sorry, all right. So I just scary. got an email from Gastronauts. Do you know them? Uh, yeah, the Gastronauts is a club. Um, we hosted. We, a we went to the Miracle Feud. For we went together. That, yeah. Okay, I've, and it was horrible. <laughs> oh wait, oh no, no what? Okay, no, okay. So I've actually hosted two Gastronauts dinners, and and the one that's coming up on, um, I think it's next. Oh my god, it might be tomorrow. But no. it's an amazing dinner, and they're mm-hmm. they're doing it at public. It's their five year anniversary. I mean, these guys have been together for five years getting people together to eat weird things and there's like snake blood on the menu for their dinner on Tuesday. That's so, totally normal in China. <laughs> done. See that? See, so so when you ask me the question um, what is the weirdest thing you ever served them? All I can think of is it's somewhere it's really normal. So okay, I don't want to I don't okay. want to get too outrageous about right. it. But um, we've done we've done we did a reptiles and amphibians dinner with the gastronauts, so we served python and all this, all frogs and, and uh, alligators and all the, all the things that live um, in the swamps. And then we did <laughs> we did a dinner of all beasts like yak and black bear and things like that. All all totally legal, illegally okay. obtained. It wasn't Jesus. it wasn't an illegal, okay. any more illegal than I guess our regular dinners are. But uh-huh. um. But I think I think those things. On, I think there's adventurous eaters, and they don't have to do that anymore. A lot of restaurants are really making jazzing up their menu with one or two items that really spurs conversation, which is extremely important. You don't want to go to a restaurant and eat the same thing every time, or if you do, there's restaurants for that. Mm-hmm. I think of places that name themselves next, or we're the next thing, or something like that. Or places with like all about awful head to toe eating and stuff like that, which is huge. It's, it's huge, like, yeah. and it and it does it does a good job of making people who come to the restaurant have something to talk about throughout. That's true. And yeah. it gives them some, like, banter, which is nice, because you... A big thing, I think, is that people are very food-interested. Yeah. 
yeah. more so than they've ever been in history. Maybe that's the overlying trend here is that the people are just being more creative and more attuned to food. Whereas before, you know, maybe those restaurants that you're describing in upstate New York, the huge target size ones, yeah. um, would have, you know, typically beef, chicken, fish. That's I, it. <laughs> I go I go upstate and the conversations I have about I mean I love it up there. I love it. But the conversations I have up there are like how big were those portions? <laughs> so that's kind of like the, the code. Like the, I, the best. <laughs> we should do a dinner where it's really, really big portions. <laughs> right. The, the best, uh, the, I think the best Thai restaurant in Albany is, is the best restaurant, Thai restaurant in Albany oh. because it's, the portions are huge. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, um, oh, so, so anyway, you know, when we were, when we were, kids I, i'd never seen an avocado you couldn't buy an avocado upstate new york at anywhere oh you're from this you're from the metropolitan area yeah so but for where, where i grew up that you couldn't get ingredients like that and then I, I came home from college one summer and i just saw all these things in the grocery store that i thought to myself this stuff's arrived people people <laughs> saw this awesome. on the food network and they wanted it nice. and it came you know like purple cauliflower nice so you're right i think there's i think this is the most food interested period of of, uh, of american culture you know the french have been food interested for centuries right well yeah and uh lots of parts and we, we kind of derive from the french uh our our culture derives from the the western you know food cultures yeah basically french yeah i mean do you do you find that your your parents were always talking about food and ingredients growing up uh, they must have yeah yeah kind of you yeah. came from a very culinary background well, yeah, you know, like uh, other countries, though, they're like, f- I, my mom grew up in another, you know, in Taiwan, and um, they just cooked. I don't know. It's, it's a different <laughs> lifestyle. I will try to explain that better. You you should. But, I only know this from your Flickr pictures. Like, I've looked <laughs> at these feasts that your family has on Flickr, so that's what I know of your... I, I'm like, she must hang out with food all the time when she goes, <laughs> she goes home, she goes back to her apartment to write for a blog. Yeah, snakes blood every night. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, so speaking of not snakes blood, cause I don't imagine that would be the, the, the right on question or uh, answer to this question, but most romantic date worthy meal. Have you ever done something like that on your menus or? Okay. This is a topic that's, that hits home. You, you've, you've written about this in your book. Yes. In the search for like the, the perfect. search for the perfect date meal. And I asked every guest on the show, <laughs> what would theirs be? No way. I'm not even, I'm not going anywhere near that. Oh, no way. No way. You, you can't have that. I think if you look for the perfect food, then you're you're on a date and you're eating. You're like, this is the perfect date food. Yeah. You you need some work, but this food <laughs> this food's amazing. No, I'm kidding. But yeah, you you, you don't want to make the, the perfect date should be the perfect date, not the food Aww, that you're eating, right? But we're in such a food aware time. Okay, all right, I'll cave. Um, Yay! That was easy. Yay! Well, okay. So what's yours? Um, it's different all the time. It changes from time to time. I okay. I can't even think of it. I don't know. I can't think of it no right now. Yeah. All right. I would say I think the the perfect date meal is is um is is almost okay. So sometimes people ask me what your favorite uh, thing to do on, yeah. a, on like a on on a, on a night out in New York. And sometimes I like to go to rehearsals of things. What? Like ballet rehearsals or symphony rehearsals or my friends like bands recording something. I like going to these. Like I like seeing a symphony rehearse. It's so. 
much more fun than seeing the production of an actual <laughs> symphony. So cool. And if you're so, a member of like a, if you're a member of like American Ballet Theater or something like that, you can go you can to the just rehearsals. Walk in. Yeah, and they'll give you certain dates you can go to rehearsals. Whoa. And those are mind blowing because something builds and then just stops, and, and all of the all of the strings. Cheaper. Oh my god! All the strings essentially are, are visible. It's like a you know, it's like you can see the choreographer comes out and starts yelling, and people start freaking out. You and take notes and learn maybe a little. You no? you see how you see in your daily life all the things that you do to build towards a like a, a meal. Okay. Like, you're like I put this meal together from scratch, and you see those people do the same thing. Hmm. So I think the the fascinating thing about it, I think the best perfect date meal would be going to like a cooking class or a butchery or like going and seeing somebody build something from scratch cool so or like maybe the best meal is just to be maybe rent a farmhouse overlooking the ocean and cook a meal that sounds awesome so that to me is a perfect date meal not going to some the restaurants are great but those are things that you almost you go for there for the conversation not for like the the food the food's almost ancillary it's yeah it's hands off yeah, and, and it arrives. It. And in life, things don't just arrive. You know what I mean? <laughs> you have to work for this relationship. So you yeah, have to you, work have to, you see somebody else's date. sweat and they're, <laughs> they're covered in flour. And oh, yeah. I was going to say, like, I would like to, I think shucking oysters would be a fun one. <sighs> Do, you know, everyone yep. says oyster is the most, like, aphrodisiac food because it's, because it's slippery and oozy and weird. And how many people really have shucked an oyster? It's yeah, fun. really, and and even like the hospital visit, and it's kind of weird and like sexual in a way because you have to get that sweet spot and really crank it, and then, whoa, nice. it's intense. Yeah, yeah, oysters. So right. that's mine. Okay, and yours is going to see rehearsals or no, go to like I camping, think, and I think going back into a kitchen. Okay, going back into yeah, for, and okay. spending the day in a kitchen, in That'd a restaurant cool. kitchen, or like a like some place where they do classes taking okay. a cooking class and really seeing how it develops and finishing a meal with a chef or something like that more hands-on good stuff yeah tough question Kathy. my kind of my kind of answer all right so i guess that's about all the time we have mark what uh what's your next upcoming dinner theme okay we just did an event with these guys from the noble rot yes who did who are essentially creating these a wine supper club it's like a wine <laughs> yeah it's it's a it's a wine bar that goes from place to place and, and introduces you to these we had wines that were uh, unlabeled, like fresh, brand new, newly bottled, uh-huh. not even out on the shelf yet kind of wines. To And we got to pair, the Whistling Ladle got to pair courses mm. with them. So that was awesome. Um, we have a dinner uh, at the end of March and, and then we have some in May. Mm-hmm. So I don't really know what the plan is for those dinners. The, the one in March That's is just fun. a vegetarian menu. Oh, which is something. Hey, vegetarians, hey. listen up. <laughs> and, then, and then in May, we're just, I don't know, probably collaborate with a, a few clubs and hopefully get somebody from San Francisco who we've met in the fall to come out and cook with us. Yeah, maybe they could forge in the parking. It'll go over really well. <laughs> I, think, I think that Let's I would see. trust them to forge and then bring okay. rather than forge anything around here. I'm such a... Good stuff. Can't wait. Yeah. Um, uh, thanks for having me. You are an un- you are so good at this. Uh, thanks all to Jack Insley and Patrick and everyone at Heritage. And we'll see you next week on Let's Eat In. Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information.
Thanks for listening. The following is a public service announcement from Heritage Foods USA. In late March, Dan, Andrea, Patrick, and the Heritage team are traveling to the coldest reaches of the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont to help the Cantor family tap sugar maple trees. Then the maple sap will flow down to the sugar house where it is boiled gently over a wood fire just as it has been for generations. Just a few days later, this grade A amber syrup will be poured into the beautiful glass jugs and sent to you for pancakes, waffles, desserts, glazing hams, or just drinking by the spoonful. There's only a limited supply, so order today. Each one-liter bottle is $45, including delivery. Delivery will be at the end of March, and we will notify you of the exact shipping date. Each shipment will include a CD explaining the whole process. You can also follow us on YouTube while we work and bottle. In the meantime, you can head over to the Heritage Radio Network archives and listen to Linda Palaccio talk about maple syrup on her show, A Taste of the Past, Episode 12. For more information, visit www.heritagefoodsusa.com. The following is a public service announcement from Heritage Radio Network. Join wine impresarios Aaron Fitzpatrick and Brian DeMarco as they dish out on the latest industry news with winemakers and tastemakers on Heritage Radio Network's revamped wine show, Unfiltered. Aaron Fitzpatrick, one of the first hosts on HRN with her program at the root of it, amps up the volume and unfiltered content with co-host Brian DeMarco in this 2011 Redux. True to the original format, Aaron and Brian will keep you abreast of current happenings and break down the news and global events, distilling complex into anecdotal stories that inspire. From media and political events to hailstorms in Argentina, no topic is out of bounds. Tune in every week to hear them chat up the industry's biggest personalities and host on-air tastings with visiting vintners and the country's hottest sommeliers. Whether you're an expert or an enthusiast, Unfiltered demystifies wine and lets you know what it really takes to get a bottle from the vineyard to your neighborhood wine shop. Unfiltered broadcasts live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. on Heritage Radio Network. The following is a public service announcement from the Museum of Food and Drink. Dave Arnold and Patrick Martins have gathered a team of New York's most innovative chefs and bartenders to create a nine-course fundraiser lunch at Del Posto, Sunday, March 27th. Their intent? To kickstart the greatest food museum in the world. The menu for this unprecedented event is derived from educational themes of the museum. Chefs will draw inspiration from sources outside their normal sphere. How will a cutting-edge chef handle the Paleolithic, or a dish only using pre-Columbian ingredients? What will a modern Italian chef do with ancient Rome? The chefs include David Chang of Momofuku, Wiley Dufresne of WD50, Mark Ladner of Del Posto, Nils Noren of the French Culinary Institute, Cesare Casella of Salumeria Rossi, Carlo Maracci of Roberta's, Brooks Headley of Del Posto, and Christina Tozzi of Momofuku Milk Bar. Bartenders include Audrey Sanders of Pegu Club, Thomas Waugh of Death & Company, Simon Ford of Pernod Ricard, Damon Bolte of Prime Meats, and Eben Clem of BR Guest Restaurants. Proceeds from the event will directly support the Museum of Food and Drink. Tickets are very limited and $250 per person. To purchase tickets, please visit mofad.eventbrite.com. That's M-O-F-A-D dot eventbrite.com. Once again, M-O-F-A-D dot E-V-E-N-T-B-R-I-T-E dot com. Sponsored by Pernod Ricard, Heritage Foods USA, Pat LaFrieda Meats, Barterhouse Wines, Del Posto Restaurant.